So today we're actually in the fourth week of this teaching series we've been on in the book of James that we've been calling Wisdom from Above. And James has been teaching us all kinds of wisdom. In chapter one, he talked about the need to, for wisdom to begin with accepting God's reality. And in chapter two, we read about the need of wisdom uh, having to be teachable. Every wise person needs to learn from others and to be teachable to godly wisdom. Then last week, we talked about how uh, wisdom calls us to take seriously the words that come out of our mouths. James teaches that words matter and that we can use our words to bless or to curse or to build up those around us. And today, part of what James is talking about in, in this scripture that we're reading today and throughout the entire book is there, there is a difference. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. That's one of uh, James's key teachings in this book. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Just to give a few examples, some of us have known about childhood geniuses before. Many of us have heard of this young boy, his name was Bobby Fischer. Many years ago, he had tons of knowledge about chess, and he was able to beat all of the greatest minds in the world in the game of chess, but he still depended on his parents because he was a kid, he was a child. Or some of us have seen some of those uh, shows or online clips of kids say the darndest things or these little kids that are able to just share this incredible amount of knowledge. They can talk about uh, um, science, uh, reading, history, and they know all of this knowledge, but they are still fully dependent on their parents to live because they don't have the wisdom to be able to navigate life on their own. You know, I actually have had the, the privilege of knowing someone that was a childhood prodigy, someone that was a childhood genius. And I'm not actually just exaggerating about this person. This is what he was categorized as when he was a child. And this is one of my closest friends. His name is Vinny. Some of you have met him. He's uh, been here in the summer before. But Vinny, as a very young child, took a liking to math. And by the time he was around five years old, he had learned all um, elementary and middle school and into high school level math. And then um, at, by the age of 10, he had exhausted all the types of levels of math from K to 12. So at 10, he started learning some college level stuff and he learned calculus by the time he was 12 years old. And then university professors started to take notice of him and he actually got through all undergrad level mathematics by the time he was 14. And then by the time he was 16, two years later, he got his master's in mathematics. And then he and I met when he was 18 years old, when he was starting his PhD in mathematics and I was doing my undergrad, that's when we met. So it was kind of a funny, funny uh, tension there in our dorm room, but, um, but yeah, he was younger than me, but he was advanced in his degree than me. But I can tell you this, that um, him being even one of my closest friends, um, he and I hardly had any conversations about his knowledge of math. Well, the best moments that he and I had together were together praying and crying out to God for wisdom 
seeking God's wisdom in challenging family situations, seeking God's wisdom in a relational matter. Those were the moments that counted the most. And that's why Vinny and I are very close friends of the heart. Not because of knowledge, but because we were both seeking God's wisdom. You know, and even in my case, uh, with my oldest son, Lemmy, some of you have uh, had a chance to engage him or talk to him, but he loves knowledge, all kinds of knowledge. He's three years old, and he can tell you all about the planets and the solar systems and the moons on Jupiter, and every single night what we do is actually we uh, read his Bible, and then he has this science textbook that we read through every single night, and he loves it. So he has all this knowledge, but he still doesn't have the wisdom to clean up after himself. He hasn't yet learned to know, he has not yet learned this beautiful idea that cleanliness is godliness. That that's a part of wisdom, but you know what? I give him mercy because not even dad has learned that lesson. And I have well over 30 years of life and I still haven't made it, but that's why my little boy gets mercy there. But what we see here is that there is that difference. James is saying that knowledge alone, information alone about God, that is not enough. That is not enough to live a life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. That is not enough to go deep into obedience, into following Christ no matter what. You know, we've talked about it here at Imago, that what obedience simply means is wisdom in action. That's what James invites us into, to live by wisdom, wisdom in action. And the reality is that I've uh, been ministering now for some time, and I've met all kinds of people with all types of education levels and all types of, of, uh, of economic resources, but here's the reality. I have never met anyone too simple-minded to catch and live by the wisdom of God. I have never met anyone who thinks that they are not educated enough to understand the gospel. The gospel is accessible to everyone. But I will tell you this, I have met people who think that they are, not that they are who, but who think that they are too smart for the wisdom of God or for the gospel, and they end up self-destructing. I've met, shared with some of you before that one of my mentors was uh, this man who was very gracious to me. His name was Frank Marsh. He was a former executive for Hewlett Packard, and for some reason he decided to mentor me when I was in my early 20s, and he wanted to pass on some of the wisdom that he had learned over the years. And one thing that he said that forever changed his life, I was working down in the South Bay in the Palo Alto, that Silicon Valley area, and he shared something that changed his life was when he attended a conference of millionaire CEOs, and he heard all of them sharing about how they felt that their life was meaningless and didn't have purpose. That changed his life. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. 
Or we can think about the, one of the most famous American icons in the history of the U.S., Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, who was on top of the world from the 50s to the 70s, and before he died, he's remembered saying, I'm the most miserable man in the world. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same. There's a difference. And what James invites us into is to live by godly wisdom. This is the, one of the main points that James is making. He is writing to people, maybe people like you and me, people who have some knowledge, some understanding, some information about God, but yet people who fail to live by God's wisdom. So whether we're taking our first steps in faith or our next steps with God, going deeper with Him, James is speaking to us. He's teaching about wisdom. And in fact, his legacy and his insights are all put together here in this wonderful but challenging short book of just five chapters. James doesn't care about only material wealth or about us having a bunch of knowledge and information. He's not just interested in trendy one-liners or in being hip or in or having tons of likes on social media. No, James is focused on teaching us eternal wisdom from above. Wisdom that's everlasting. And in fact, that's why the book of James is so misunderstood. It's been one of the most misunderstood books in the history of a Christian faith. And especially, it's misunderstood by many people who grow up in churches. Because oftentimes, we approach it and look at the book of James as thinking, okay, what's this new information or piece of insight that I can get from it and then check it off my box? But James doesn't play that game. James is not just giving us new theological information or teaching, but he wants to confront us and challenge us with the way that we live, with the way that we live as followers of Jesus and how we live out our faith, not just talk about our faith. And the book of James, as we've talked about the past few weeks, is very much influenced by two key resources by the teachings of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount, and also by the Old Testament books of wisdom. James is a new book of wisdom in the New Testament, something like a new book of Proverbs. He's teaching us what it means to live a life of wisdom based off of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So with all that in mind, James continues his teaching here in chapter 4 with these words. And in verses 13 and 14, James says this. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Again, James is reminding us that God is in control, not us. No matter how much we want to trick ourselves or fool ourselves or convince ourselves that we are in control, we are not. Neither one of us here, no one in this room can boast about tomorrow. 
But what we can do is we can humbly walk in trust and obedience before the Lord today to ask Him to provide my needs and to guide me and to order my steps today. We've heard this phrase before, one day at a time. It's actually a phrase that many recovery groups, many teaching groups, many authors have used over the years, but we see that the origin of that phrase, the origin of that teaching comes from the book of James. One day at a time. We cannot boast about tomorrow. And in fact, as I've done some of my own research on the history of recovery groups and on the history of counseling and therapy, one thing that I've come to realize in that history is that all of that history stems from an ancient Christian practice, an ancient Christian practice that was called the cure of souls or the care of souls. And all of this practice on the cure of souls, this was the ancient word for pastoral care. All of that, meant much of it, finds its, its, uh, its teaching and its resource and its inspiration from the book of James. We see how James teaches so much wisdom that is applied even in recovery or restorative or therapeutic groups in, cha- in James chapter 4, verse 8, he says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. In another passage, he says, remember, confess your sin to one another and that is the first step toward healing and restoration. In fact, one of the first recovery groups, anonymous groups ever, was actually a group that started in Ohio. And one of the co-founders was a man named Bob Smith. And he was a part of this other group that was called the Oxford Group. And what they tried to do is they tried to live by the teachings of the Bible. They tried to live like early Christians. And when they would gather in Bob Smith's house in Ohio, there wasn't any recovery literature or therapy literature that they were looking at. But what they did is they gathered around and they opened up the scriptures and they read the Sermon on the Mount and the book of James. That's part of the impact of the wisdom of James throughout history. You know, and even in my case, with this phrase, one day at a time, I I grew up in a church that was um, primarily Spanish-speaking. My parents are immigrants. They're Spanish-dominant. I'm bilingual, but I've become more English-dominant over the years. But I still remember, close to my heart, a song that we would sing growing up as a child. It was a song entitled, Un Dia a la Vez, which simply means, one day at a time. And the, the words went like this. The chorus simply said, Un día a la vez, mi Cristo. Yo confiaré en ti. Un día a la vez. One day at a time, oh my Lord, I will trust in you. One day at a time. James goes on here in verses 13 and 14 to continue to say, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And James here, he's not just trying to be negative or to be a downer. But what James is doing here, as we've talked about, this is a new book of wisdom in the New Testament. He's connecting some of the dots. 
he's using this word mist and vapor, which is the same word in the ancient biblical languages. These are the, this is the same word for vanity or for meaninglessness. Again, we see James connecting the dots with the Old Testament wisdom and here in the New Testament. When he's talking about this, that our life is missed, he is, he is alluding and making a connection with the book of Ecclesiastes, which is another famous book of wisdom, a book where we find a lot of phrases that maybe we are familiar with, but we don't know where they come from. Phrases like that there is a time and a place for everything. That comes from Ecclesiastes. But what we see here is James connecting those dots. And there's this famous line in Ecclesiastes that in chapter 1, verse 2, and we can put it up right behind me in Ecclesiastes 1, 2, where the writer of Ecclesiastes simply says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But really, what that ancient Hebrew word is, that's the same word for vapor or for mist. So really, what's being said here is connected to what James is saying. Vapor, mist, says the teacher, utterly vapor. Everything is just like mist. So vanity and vapor are the same thing, just like this, right? That's what he's talking about vapor and mist you know originally i was going to ask for a volunteer and just kind of spray this on them and uh to for a real illustration to cool off but to make the greater point that that's what james is saying he's not just trying to be a downer or a negative but he's giving us a dose of reality that that is what our life is it is vapor and mist it comes and it goes and in fact, what we see here with the effect of vapor and mist is that if I did get a volunteer and I did this in someone's face, they would immediately feel the effect. But then what would happen? It would come to pass. It comes and it goes. Friends, brothers, sisters, whatever you're going through today, this too shall pass. This too is passing. It comes and it goes. It is not foundational. It is vapor. We feel it immediately. And the way that we feel perhaps today about our burden or our challenge, the truth is that tomorrow we will not feel the same way about it. Or a year from now, you will not feel the same way about it because it is vapor. It comes and it goes. It is not foundational or eternal. We feel the immediately, immediate effect, but then it comes to pass. Then James goes on to say these words that seem, again, pretty deep. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Again, the wisdom of God invites us to learn to rest in God today. Rest in God today, here and now. Not caught up in regret about yesterday or fear about tomorrow, but rest in God today. You know, as I was, I mentioned a little bit about my undergrad and something I studied, what was my major was actually philosophy. 
And um, one of the writers that we read about was actually a writer whose name was Blaise Pascal. Some of you have maybe heard of him. But one phrase that he said, I could never forget. And he says this, and it's connected to what we're talking about, about being present and still and receiving God's reality here and now. Blaise Pascal says, all of humanity's problems stem from the inability of humankind to sit quietly in a room alone, to simply be still and be present. According to Pascal, we're afraid of the silence of existence. We're afraid of boredom. And instead we choose aimless distraction and we can't help but run away, but run toward the uh, false comforts of the mind or the distractions of the world. And I've said this before here at Imago Church. Remember this, friends, that the greatest barrier to faith is not doubt. God can handle any doubt. God can handle your past, any challenge that you've gone through. God can handle it. But the greatest barrier to faith is not doubt. The greatest greatest barrier to faith is distraction. Aimless and pointless distraction. Us giving our lives, our time, our energy to things that do not matter. James goes on here to say, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? James invites us to encounter God here and now. You want to know where God's hanging out? Here and now. That's where He's at. And if we actually want to get a taste of eternity, then we actually, the only thing we need to do is exactly what God invites us into, is to simply be still and know that He is God. If we're able, if we want to experience eternity, then we need to be able to be here, to be present, to be right where God has us. Because who we are before God is who we truly are. And in fact, right now, this is a moment of eternity. This is where God is present and hanging out, not in the regrets of yesterday or in the fears of tomorrow, but God is here and now, today. James goes on to say here in verses 15 through 17, he says this, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We have access to a living God. We have access to a God who we can cry out to and He will give us guidance. He will order our steps daily. He will teach us the next right thing to do. Sometimes we want God to just tell us all the details about the future that's not even relevant right now, but God is here and now saying, what's the next 
right thing? What's the thing in front of us? What's the action that can be taken when we serve a living Lord? Wisdom invites us to let go of this idea, this false idea of trying to control all of the moving parts about the future or all of the decisions of other people, but the posture of wisdom invites us to take the next right action now with doing what's in front of us, with putting one foot in front of the other, with asking God, Lord, order my steps. Order my steps and teach me what I can do with what's in front of me. You know, uh, just about, I'm at a point right now where it's about three years since I moved here to the Central Valley. And with this vision and dream to plant Imago Church. And it was something that was very challenging and overwhelming and continues to be. Because when I moved to the Central Valley, I only knew one person here. And that was a pastor in Tulare that many of you know, Pastor Russ Siders. So he was a pastor of another church, so he wasn't going to be able to be a part of Imago, unfortunately. But I remember as I was talking to him, and many of you know him, he's a man of God, a man of wisdom, and I was at one point very overwhelmed. I was just thinking, God, how is this even going to happen? I don't even know anyone. How is this going to happen? How are we going to start something from nothing? What's going to happen in the future? Finances, people, building, all of that. And I'll never forget what Pastor Russ said to me. He just simply said, Carlos, what if you begin with what's in front of you? (laughs) Who would have thought, right? (laughs) What if you begin with what's right in front of you and follow God and trust God in that? And today, we're actually celebrating one year since we started morning worship service at Imago. So we can give God praise for that, really. We give God all the glory and praise for that. And one thing that we want to be clear on is that that didn't just magically happen. You know, we didn't have access to this or that. There wasn't a magic wand. But what happened is that we as a community, we trusted God a day at a time, placing one foot in front of the other, doing the next right thing. God builds up His kingdom that way. One brick at a time, one step at a time. One of my favorite uh, genres of music is actually classic gospel. I love classic gospel music. I'm constantly uh, blasting it at home or in my headphones or in the car. But I think of one particular classic gospel song that is very special to my family, to me and Charlotte. We actually played it at our wedding. If you all have a chance one day come to our house, you can see the video but it was a song entitled, Order My Steps. And some of you might have heard this song before, but the first line simply says this. It says, order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me, guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps in your word. Yes, Lord, order my steps in your word. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other. Friends, 
Let's be clear about this. What you're going through right now, it will come to pass. And by the grace of God, you will get through it. God invites us to get through it. Not to go around it, not to run away from it, not to escape, but to go through it by trusting in God, by faith, by His grace, putting one foot in front of the other. Again, that's where the grace of God is. Not in the, in the trying to control the future and the moving parts, but here and now. Some of us can be asking ourselves, well, that sounds interesting, Pastor Carlos, but when do we start? How do we do that? When can we start trusting God? What does that journey look like? When is the right time to start following Him and receiving that wisdom that He gives us from above? And the answer, the time is now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but now, today. As some of us have heard that contemporary worship song uh, entitled Tonight, that says, if you have to start somewhere, why not here? If you have to start sometime, why not now? The invitation from God is now. Why? Because time belongs to God, not to us. That is something that James is making abundantly clear. We cannot boast about tomorrow or about time because we can't boast about something that does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And in fact, we exist in time, just like we exist in the earth and how we enjoy the sun, the moon, and the stars, yet it all belongs to God. We are not in control of time. So what is James's invitation here? It is do not boast about tomorrow because it doesn't belong to you. Instead, receive the gift of today. That's why it's called a present. That's what it means to be present with God. Each moment is a grace and a gift from God. That's what we're called to receive. And just to be clear, not boasting about tomorrow, that doesn't mean failing to plan. It doesn't mean just going with the flow. No, James talks about that in chapter 1 and says we don't want to be tossed back and forth like a wave. No, any wise person knows that failing to plan is a plan to fail. But really what James is inviting us into here is simply to take action today and to entrust tomorrow's outcome into the hands of God. That's his side of the, that's his role, and this is our role. El tiempo pertenece a Dios. That's something that is that wisdom makes abundantly clear. We are not owners of time. So because we're not owners of time, we're not called to be stingy with time. But what we're called to be is stewards of time. 
Just as we're stewards of our finances and our resources, God invites us to be stewards of time. And here at Imago Church, as a gospel-centered community, we give generously of our tithes and offerings and resources, but we are also generous with our time. That's part of what it means to practice receiving the gift and giving the gift of time and presence. So when we take time to greet one another here in the service and when we have fellowship afterwards, it's not just an invitation to coffee and pastries. It's an invitation to experience this grace, to receive the gift of time and presence and to give that gift to others as well. Some of us have uh, been here before and you've heard me share this illustration about someone that deeply impacted me and they probably don't even know it. It was a professor that I had many years ago and her name was Dr. Buchak. And she was absolutely packed and busy in her life, just like many of us are. She was a professor at a university. She was an author, a speaker in different conferences. On top of that, she was a mother and she was a wife and she was committed to her local church. But I'll never forget something that she shared with me in passing. Again, in one of those many moments in my life where I have felt overwhelmed and discouraged and challenged, Dr. Buchak simply said, you know what, Carlos? I've just learned the truth is, if you give God the time, He will give you the time. Give God the time, and He will give you the time that you need. And friends, that's the invitation. One day at a time. Not boasting about tomorrow, but meeting God here and now. Let's pray together. Vamos a orar juntos. Lord God, this morning, we pray. And Lord, this morning, we want to practice presence. So Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with more of you. Build us up, God Almighty, in your wisdom. And what we're going to do right now is something unique. We're going to come before the Lord and we're just simply going to be present. Present with God. Because who we are before God is who we truly are. And that's the invitation just before we continue our time of prayer here this morning. We're going to take the next minute to simply be present. To be present before God and each other to pray. So right now, this is what I'm going to invite all of us to do here as a community. To just simply let go of what you're holding on to. Give it over to God. Put it in His hands. Whatever pressure, whatever deadline, whatever outcome, whatever fear, hand it over to Him today in his presence. So we're just going to take this next minute as a community 
to simply do that right where you are, to hand it over before God, to be silent, to be still before God, to be still before each other. So together, as a community, let's enter into the presence of God, into the stillness, into the quiet.